Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saints. And I'm Jim. Jim, how the hell are you, buddy? You know, uh, pretty good. Um, I know that I have uh, had to sit here and bitch to uh, absolutely an ad nauseum level over the last <laughs> couple weeks because uh, of, of winter, but uh, it's March now as we record this. Uh, it's our first uh, sit-down recording of March, and uh, yesterday it was 60 degrees here. So the whole seasonal depression thing, I keep seeing this meme floating around Facebook, and it's absolutely true. Seasonal depression feels like it's fake until that first 50-degree day in March hits and you feel like you took a party drug. And it's very true. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, so, you know, still, I'm good. We're still in our I'm fake good. spring here. We, we, get, we yeah. don't get actual spring yet. We, get, we go from winter to fake spring where it starts to rain, and then... We get kind of a fake out cold snap, and that's kind of where we've been at is the the fake spring. So I'm waiting for actual spring. So, oh, it is very much fake spring here too. The the Midwest very clearly has uh, several phases of, uh, of of the winter thing, and um, right now, let's see, there's winter, and then there's fool's spring. That's where we are. <laughs> Second winter comes on the heels of that. That's going to be coming later this week. Uh, spring of deception, and then third winter comes after that. And then there's the pollening, which if anybody has hay fever or seasonal allergies, that's always a pain in the ass. The then actual spring finally hits, and it lasts for maybe a couple of weeks. And then summer, then Hell's Front Porch. Uh, that's the thing that people don't really <laughs> understand about being this far north. Yeah, we have to deal with both ends of the extreme. Um, and then false fall, um, which uh, it starts to get real cool. The leaves might even start to turn. Then second summer, where it's in the 90s again, and then actual fall, and we cycle back around to winter again. So we actually have many, many seasons here in Wisconsin, and, and currently it's full spring, but uh, real spring is, is coming hot on the heels of it. I feel like a hobbit talking about, like, oh, what about second breakfast? What about third breakfast? What about lunch? And it's like, what about fool's winter? Fool's spring. Yeah, it's coming. It's, it's coming. Yeah. I think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. So you doing? How you doing? Oh man, I'm fantastic. Uh, as of recording, uh, went and saw Batman uh, on Friday, mm. which is two days ago. Oh wait, recording. this is the Batman, right? If we're going to do Batman. that about Suicide Squad and the Suicide Squad, we got to designate this is the Batman. The Batman, and I'm not in the mood to sp- spread spoilers yet. Well, I'll probably see it later today based on your recommendation. Right. And and by the time you all hear this, it's going to be past the spoiler moratorium either way. Uh, And I kind of uh, lean on Facebook to dictate that because Facebook will ruin everything if you give it a chance. Um, But uh, So that's why me and my kid went out and popped out and saw it on opening weekend. And uh, I rather enjoyed it. I really did. Well, you know... You enjoyed it, and our, our friend, uh, friend of the show, uh, Aaron Diarive, actually saw it as well, and he said, no spoilers, but if this is the this is not the Batman you're expecting. It's not your dad's Batman. They lean more on the detective part of the Dark Knight Detective, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a noir thriller that goes on for about three hours, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, where Gordon and um, and Bruce kind of team up to, uh, to actually use their brains instead of their uh, their, their muscles to, to solve a crime. So yeah, that's he compared it to, to me. Seven, think, uh, which was a really good comparison, yeah. I thought. Because they treat this Riddler uh, very much more in a in a in a serial kind of vein, uh, definitely less uh, jokey, haha, like you get in the cartoons and whatnot. But uh, they definitely treat him a bit more psychopathic and a bit more uh, uh, criminally insane, I guess, which is good. So, uh, very very highly recommend it though, uh, and and. 
Let's see, what did I do yesterday? I spent the entire part of yesterday repairing handhelds, which I've stated is my new hobby and I'm trying really hard to do. I had received a, a DSi, Nintendo DSi XL, from a Goodwill auction that came out of, I want to say, San Antonio. And it's a color variant I didn't have. It's this nice burgundy wine color. And uh, the only thing is, when I bought it, I thought the screen was, the screen protector on the bottom was scuffed. And uh, so I'm like, oh, that's no problem. I could fix that, clean it up. They didn't have a screen protector on it. That was the actual plastic of the Aww. screen, scuffed like it had been hit with a uh, one of those scratch pads and just destroyed. You could Oof. barely see through it. The thing worked fantastic. Somebody put it in the pocket with the keys. I don't know what it was, but... So, uh, I ordered, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I ordered a new screen. And this is new for me because I've never replaced the actual full screens before. It's a very, like I've talked about before, it's a very dicey uh, prospect because the ribbon cables are so thin. And the mm -hmm. connectors to the motherboard are so, uh, uh, not thin. Uh, they're just kind of very wispy. And like one yeah. false move, one sneeze while you're tweezering that thing out of there and you could snap it right off the board. And so I was very, very cautious. And this is my first uh, actual removal on purpose of uh, a screen. And, and it went well. It actually uh, put the new screen in, got everything put back together and polished up. And it works just gangbusters. It's fantastic. So Awesome. Well, that's another uh, another box ticked on the here's the list of shit I can do. Mm -hmm. So that's good. And that skill actually translates to uh, a lot of the different systems. The DS, the, uh, the DSi, the 2DS, the 3DS, uh, as far as bottom screen replacement. Now, we haven't gotten into doing anything with like top screens and 3D and things like that. So that's down the road eventually. But I'll take my little victories where I can and get them. So, yeah. Other than that, it's just been business as usual. And then uh, uh, coming into this podcast, now, of course, by the time you hear this, we'll probably be a bit closer to April. Um, but we kind of had a couple of things we wanted to talk about today. Now, we've got a main topic that we're going to get to. But I kind of been liking, I've been liking how we've been able to divide the episodes into multiple topics and, and, and cover a couple of different things. It feels yeah. a bit more natural conversation to me, uh, if you want to say it like that. And I don't know how y'all feel about that. Definitely let us know. Uh, and uh, let's get into it. Before we get into the topic of the conversation, let's say, here's the ways you can reach us. You can reach us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. You can Gmail us at FuelYourFandom at gmail.com. You can also Gmail us at FYFTalentBooking at gmail.com if you got show ideas or guest ideas or pie recipes. And you can get us on Instagram at, at FuelYourFandom, on Twitter at, at Fuel underscore Your. And you can always reach out to us if you want to drop some cash on us for the Fuel the Future charity fundraiser to get comics into the hands of underprivileged kids. And we're on Cash App, Venmo, and PayPal at, at FuelYourFandom. And, of course, uh, we're, we're glad no matter where you find us that you find us because we're available wherever fine podcasts are available. Um, so uh, we certainly appreciate that. Now, however you get us into your ear holes, we are appreciative that you do. Absolutely we are. And uh, uh, before we get started with the topic, I just realized I'd forgotten to mention, I did end up picking up that Ambernix system that you would require, uh, not require, oh, requested, yeah. but that you'd recommended to me. And uh, 
uh, I ended up buying the, 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 there's like three models of it. There's the P, which is, I think, the model you bought. There's the Probably, M, yeah. which is the upgrade, which the only upgrade from the P to the M is uh, the presence of a, of a metal body instead of a plastic body. Mm-hmm. And then there's the MP, which is like the M Pro. And that has a, uh, a screen uh, that is a bit more uh, higher tech and, and more crystal clear. And I forget the specs behind it, but I shelled out the extra bucks to get the MP. And I got it in this yeah. lovely uh, mint green color, which is kind of nice. And, Ooh. and uh, it's really cool because when you charge it and you pick it up for after not playing it for a while, it's like ice cold and ready to go. And I don't know, it's just little things like that. But the construction of it, like, like you were saying, is, is really nice. Uh, the yeah. buttons all are in a place that make perfect sense. I've not had a, a reach issue with any of the buttons. The onboard emulation works pretty fantastic. Now that said, it had kind of a weird selection of games and sorted weird, so I had to go through and reorganize a bunch of stuff. And uh, But it's pretty plug and play. It worked really well. Yeah. And it's been my daily driver for the last week and a half as I've been taking it uh, uh, to work with me. And I've been... Working my way through the original Pokemon games because I'm trying to relate to my daughter a bit more, and so she's <laughs> she's uh, working her ass off through uh, Arceus right now, which is I actually played it for about an hour and it's not a bad little Pokemon game. It's it's pretty open world and pretty beautiful made, and uh, they got a couple more coming down the pike before the end of the year, which is impressive. But I'm l- trying to learn the original Pokemon games so I can have a bit of a relate to her and a bit of a relate to my my friends who all started back in the game uh game boy days of of pokemon so i'm I'm learning that but overall it's a it's a pretty fantastic system i think that's a very good recommendation so if you're looking for one of those hit up uh amazon's where i got mine a-n-b-e-r-n-i-c anbernick and i think you'll enjoy it they've got a couple of different models of uh handhelds uh this is the uh, 351 mp the one that i bought and and it's just a lot of fun so and on the other out. end of the spectrum uh, i totally cheaped out and just got the regular old plastic one and it still is a and it's i think it was 100 bucks 110 bucks maybe with shipping and, and it's just a really solid little unit and it comes uh, preloaded with uh just all kinds of games hundreds of them mm-hmm. um so it's it's a really solid little unit and i really enjoy it um, but something you said, you said uh, the, the new Pokemon game is kind of open world. Uh, I wanted to kind of just toss out a little bit of a, uh, a thing here, because open world is, is my preferred style of game these days. Um, it's Jimmy's I generally, Jam. I uh, really like this. Yeah, I, I just finished Far Cry 6, uh, just picked up Horizon Forbidden West, haven't started that yet. But I really, over the years, ha- have come to appreciate... What a, you know, a lot of people, they kind of ding on open-world games as being, oh, they're all Ubisoft clones, whether or not they're made by Ubisoft, which Far Cry 6 obviously is, and whatever, where you open the game up and it's got a giant map and there's just uh, icons scattered everywhere, and it winds up being just run across a map, do a thing, you know, and then go do another thing. But, you know, whether it's uh, the Valhalla, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, or any of the Assassin's Creed games, or Far Cry, or even the Ghost Recon games... I kind of like that. I mean, that's really my jam. I like that stuff a lot. I I don't I don't consider that a bad thing. I, I mean, a lot of people, you know, it's formulaic. It's it, we've seen this game a thousand times. Yeah, but it's kind of gaming comfort food. Um, but that said, I've seen a lot of my friends this week kind of going off a little bit on Elden Ring because Elden yeah. Ring came out a week or two ago. I'm looking at picking and that one up. I mean, it's on my list. I'm not. That's one open world game that I'm going to pass up entirely. Because 
I was talking to a friend about this on Facebook maybe a week or two ago about Elden Ring, and our friend uh, Steph Sterling, who, uh, who who does the uh, the Jimquisition and Jimpression videos on YouTube, right. uh, also has quite a few videos up about Elden Ring because they've been playing it. Um, and it, the latest video that Steph put out was about uh, the constant march of Git Goodery. And it was a really, really good video. <laughs> yeah. I checked it out. And I kind of share a lot of their opinions on this because I sort of like... I don't like From Software games. I tried to play Dead Souls once because it was on. I think it was on Game Pass at one point. I tried to play Demon Souls another time, and even though I absolutely love stuff like Skyrim, I absolutely love stuff like Fallout. I love the open worlds with RPG elements tossed into it. I just can't get into From Software games because it feels like they hate you. It feels like they want to punish you for playing them, and it's not a skill thing. I literally have been playing games since you had to sit crisscross applesauce on the floor because the Pong deck hooked up to your black and white 14-inch TV had little faders on it like a mixing board that you had to use to control the paddles with. That's how long I've been a gamer, since before the 2600. I was there, I was there 3,000 years ago. So... I got nothing to fucking prove. I beat Battletoads back in the day. I beat Ghosts and Goblins back in the day. I beat the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and NES back in the day. And in terms of hardcore gaming, that shit was pretty difficult. But these days, I don't have the patience to play a game that is user hostile. Uh, there, you know, there should be a a learning curve. Oh, those Souls for these games kind of games where you are hostile. Yeah. Right, and I, you know, I've seen, I've played other games before, like the Fallout games, very famously. Uh, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago, even kind of had this idea that, yeah, you can go anywhere you want, but if you're in an area that's, that you're not ready for yet, there's going to be a meat shield that's going to smack you down and turn you around in the other direction. There's going to be some overpowered creature or, or enemy that's going to let you know that maybe you're not ready for this area yet. And I guess that's what Elden Ring is doing as well, but I really kind of was hoping that this game would not be necessarily an extension of the Souls universe, uh, like Bloodborne and all that kind of stuff, it, that it might be its own thing, because... I just don't have the patience to, well, you know, I, I played this, I, I beat, I fought this boss 346 times before I finally had the chance to figure out the pattern that I needed to use and the exact split-second button press, you know, quick-time event mashing, whatever. I just don't have the patience for that. And you can call me a wimpy all you want. You can say I need to get good and, you know, you need to play things on normal mode and not story mode, whatever, but... I play games for fun these days. I play games to unwind. And if a game is going to be stressful and frustrating, and it's going to hate me for playing it and punish me for playing it, then it feels like a fucking job, and I just don't have the time. In, right. And again, this is just an opinion, and anybody's welcome to not have this opinion, but games should have a gradual learning curve where you're always just, like, maybe a step or two, maybe even just a half step or whatever it is that you're that's around you, that you can beat it fairly, but it, it might kick your ass once in a while, but it's not going to be one of those things where you have to fight a given boss a thousand times just to learn the pattern that they're they're following. Right, Plus and that's that, what, that's what they gonna... did with uh, Skyrim, is they made the enemies a bit yeah. more, they were gradual. As you leveled yeah, up and they scaled with you. They scaled with you. Yeah, exactly that. And you're always a step or two ahead. And the other thing I'm going to say that is probably not going to be a very popular opinion, but I, I, one of the big reasons I don't play from software games is I really don't like the art style. The dark gothic neo gothic art I, style. You know, I'm fine with it if it's called. something like Bayonetta where there's the occasional splash of color, or even like Skyrim and some of the the, the northern areas. I, I, I look at those from software games and they just look like. Gray. They're just, and I don't dismal. like, they're gray and brown and muddy and occasionally they have interesting character designs, but they just, I, something about it just really turns me off and I can't really put my finger on it exactly. 
but I don't like the art style. Uh, the fact that it's going to be user hostile to you. And uh, again, I've seen a few reviews of people saying, look, it's kind of like Breath of the Wild, and that it really rewards discovery. If you see something across the map that looks intriguing, you can make your way over to it, and you can just explore it and figure it out, and it reveals itself in layers. But I like things that reveal themselves in layers like a buffet. Like, it gets sweeter the further down you go. I don't like things that reveal themselves like an <laughs> onion, where every time you peel off another one, it makes you fucking cry. I don't have the patience. I don't have the time. I, I, you know, maybe I'll give it a chance later on, but I just consistently do not like from software games because of the art style, because of the punishing difficulty, and because it just feels like work. And if it's stressful, it's not a leisure time unwind activity for me. Right, and I think a lot of that get good uh, comes from the fact that there are players yeah. who do nothing but sit around and play video games, and that's fine. Yeah. If you've got the time to do that, if you're young, if, you've, if you're making a career as a streamer, be that as it may. We are of an age demographic that uh, it means mm -hmm. we have to work real hard and work long hours. And by the time that we get to a video game, that we get to sit down and relax and play a video game, then I think you're right. We don't want such a, a brutal uh, kind of experience. We want something that is going to be rewarding and feel rewarding to us. And, and I think that's yeah maybe just the difference in the age uh, of the people playing it. I don't know. It's hard to say. But... Uh, I'll probably end up giving it a try, just just because. I, I, I mean, I'm kind of tempted to buy it, but at the other hand, I'm like, ah, it'll probably end up on Game Pass one of these days, and probably maybe I should just wait for Game Pass. So if it know. winds up being free with Game Pass, I'll, I'll, I'll download it and give it a shot. I might surprise myself, because the thing that every reviewer and every fan of these kinds of games says is that, yes, it's hard, but it rewards patience, it rewards paying attention, it rewards... Um, skill and i'm like ah, it's fine i guess but then i see other people who are just like yeah by the time I, I fought that boss by the thousandth time i think i finally had it down and i'm just like i don't i don't have time for that shit i really don't, <laughs> don't want to fight somebody um, a thousand fucking times no i really don't it's just not fun for me Get and speaking of not fun for me there was one other thing that we wanted to <laughs> talk about oh yeah um it, it's sort of the uh the, the, the traditional uh what grinds our gears sort of thing and um Again, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, anytime Kanye West wants to fuck off to hell back where he came from, I am perfectly happy to see him go. I keep the, um, I keep hearing in my head that song uh, uh, from that movie Encanto that we both enjoyed. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. We don't talk about Bruno. It's a very big song right now, and... I kind of yeah. feel like we need to make another version of it. We don't talk about Kanye, and and here's Honest the to God. here's the thing, okay? And I, and I know where you're coming from because I felt that way at various intervals about every member of the Kardashian clan. But here's the thing: whether you're into Kanye as an artist, whether you're not, he's a very talented individual. That has never, ever, ever been contested. Whether you're into hip hop or not, design or not, he's got a lot of skill and a lot of talent. But the thing is, he's also got severe mental issues. And this isn't just severe. me saying it. This is licensed professionals going on and talking about you know, these forms of behavior that he's exhibiting uh, being various uh, red flags for uh, certain mental issues. And, and he's even talked about mm -hmm. having uh, uh, mental issues, uh, depression, anxiety, things like that, imposter syndrome, things like that. And I'm never going to shit on anybody for acknowledging and, and dealing with their mental health. That's just not who I am. That's not what I do. I got my own issues. No. 
you got your own issues. We've all, Definitely. to some degree, have our own uh, mental battles that we're fighting. But here's Nobody the makes thing. it to adulthood completely unscathed. Absolutely not. And if you're 30 and you don't have mental baggage, wrong, you just don't see it. But right. the issue with Kanye is you got a lot of people in his corner backing him uh, and in this messy divorce that he's going through with uh, Kim Kardashian. And uh, people who back their fans to the hilt are people who back their, their icons to the hilt. Whatever they do, they can do no wrong. But here's the thing. Blind obedience and blind uh, acceptance of whatever a person does is not healthy. Not even a little no. bit. And we've seen uh, examples of Kanye's mental instability over the years. Whether it's uh, for that thing with uh, Taylor Swift at, mm -hmm. the, at the Music Awards. Yo, Taylor. I, I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. And whether or not it's uh, uh, his partnering with uh, Donald Trump, and I don't care what side of the political spectrum you reign on. Or the extreme megalomaniacal egotism of this guy mm -hmm. by saying, you know, you don't, you don't get to call yourself a genius. You don't get to call yourself a landmark genre-defining uh, artist. You don't get he calls to, that's, himself that's Jesus. That's people to say. Yeah. I mean, the, the incredible egotism, and like you said, yeah, the guy's got talent, okay? He's got talent, but if you're going to have the ego that Kanye West has, you need to have Prince-level talent. And he's good, but he's not that good. Right. Like, Prince could get away with being a cocky motherfucker because that guy, you know, he's well-documented of, he'll lock himself, he used to be able to lock himself in his studio and spend a week and record an entire album, writing everything, singing everything, playing all the parts, Producing, and then it would be mixed and yeah. mastered and ready to go, and then he would stuff it in the vault, and we may or may not ever see that stuff. And again, at the risk of going off on a tangent again, uh, something else sad happened this week where the Prince Estate told Morris Day and the Time they can't use that name anymore to perform under, which really sucks. What? But, yeah, Morris Day actually went on uh, Facebook and said, uh, you know, Prince and I came up with Morris Day and the Time together. He helped me put the band together. He was very supportive of me. We played together many times. We went on tour. We collaborated. Prince never had a problem with me using any of that, even though we did it together. But because the Prince Estate still holds at least some sway over whether or not, you know, I'm able to use this, uh, Morris Day said the Prince people, whoever controlling his estate, said I can no longer use the performer of the name Morris Day and the Time. So that sucks. That does but suck. But that's neither here nor there. That does suck. But... If you're going to have an ego on the level of Prince or Kanye, you better have Prince-level talent, and Kanye doesn't. He's good. He's good at what he does, but he's not so good that he can get away with being the absolute jackass that he is. And the Sikh offense and the yes-men and the entourage that he has around him that are egging him on, the reason we're talking about this is because this week he came out with a video Oh yeah, for a song called Easy, and it is a claymation video in which Kanye kidnaps, tortures, and dismembers and then buries the body of Pete Davidson, who, by all accounts, if you believe the celebrity gossip press, is dating Kim Kardashian and has been for a couple of months now. Right. I, I try really hard not to pay attention to celebrity gossip, but th this thing is... I'm a huge SNL fan. I have they been are since dating. I was a kid. I mean, I, I, I yeah, confirm they that. are. But Saturday Night Live and I emerged into the world in the same year, 1975, so I, I've been able to grow up with SNL. And I've been watching SNL since I was a kid, and I love SNL. Um, I, I believe it's very relevant and very cultural. If you saw last night's episode, it was also very good. They, they went off on the whole uh, um, uh, Fox News uh, sucking the dick of Russia leading up to, like, the Ukraine invasion thing. Um, 
really, really funny and very sharp and very pointed. And Pete Davidson, obviously, is one of the more prominent cast members of Saturday Night Live. He hasn't been on the last few episodes because he's apparently shooting a, a horror film right now. Um, but Pete Davidson has been the subject and the target of Kanye's ire for some time. Uh, because Pete Davidson, even though he's the first to say, I don't know why I get to do this, Pete Davidson dates a lot of very famous, wealthy, incredibly conventionally attractive women. And Pete himself was like, look, I'm weird looking, I kind of, I'm lanky, I'm weird, I'm covered in stupid tattoos, I got big teeth. I'm not saying anything about him he wouldn't say about himself. I happen to think he's fucking awesome. I love Pete Davidson, I'm pulling for him, much for the same reason that, unlike Kanye, Pete acknowledges his mental illness, he's very upfront about it, he, he makes himself very vulnerable in the public eye about it, and he's said things on the show like, hey Kanye, not recently, but this is, this clip has resurfaced from a couple years ago where he was on Weekend Update on SNL saying, hey Kanye, get back on the pills, buddy. You know, uh, they're good for you. I take them. You should take them. Everybody knows you're not taking them. Get back, get back on the pills. There's no shame in that game. Right. And I just love Pete Davidson. He's very talented. He's very funny. Um, he's very upfront about his issues. He's an incredibly vulnerable person. And I just, I'm pulling for him. I like him a lot. Um, at the risk of, like, choosing a side in this one, I liked Pete and didn't like Kanye before they didn't like each other. <laughs> so I, I just really... I want to see Kanye work out his toxic stalker ex mental illness issues without involving other people, without humiliating himself in the public eye, without tarnishing his reputation among people who look at his behavior, recognize it as being incredibly toxic, uh, untreated mental illness, people around him weren't supporting him the way he needs to be supported, who are just egging him on and, and being sycophantic about the shit he's pulling. I just want to see the guy get some help. I, yeah. I really do, because the, the shit that he's doing... Between whether it's making videos where he, he fantasizes openly about murdering his ex-wife's current boyfriend, or whether it's uh, constantly talking about how much he hopes he and his wife get back together while he dates women who look exactly like her. He bought a I house mean, across the street from her. Yeah. Just so he could he keep did. tabs on her. It's it's And that's just creepy and weird. It's 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 very, very alarming stalker wise. Anyone who's had any kind of experience, and, and I, I believe it or not, I've had a stalker before. Not quite to this degree. Me too. Me it, too. It, it's a bit alarming. And uh, I, I, it's, look, I don't wish any ill will. I don't even wish any ill will against my exes, if that tells you anything. So, so no. some celebrity that I don't even know, you know, yeah, I'm going to pull for you. I want you to get better. I want you to succeed. Kanye West is a very talented individual. I want to see him better. And not every marriage and relationship is meant to work out. Not every relationship is going to continue to bear fruit this far down the line. And the fact of the matter is, as it seems for all intents and purposes, like him and, and Kim are done. Their relationship yep. has run its course. And, uh -huh. and Kim is doing her very best to move on, which is admirable of her. And definitely her right and privilege to do so. Uh, I don't really particularly care for uh, Kim Kardashian as a person or her family at all for people, but you know they but don't. She doesn't deserve what's they happening. They don't deserve to what's happening to her, and Pete definitely doesn't deserve this. Uh, so I, I think we need to destigmatize more this uh, uh, talking about mental health and mental health acceptance and awareness and and being able to destigmatize it and, and make it to a point where these are things we talk about you know oh you need to get back on the medication hey i'm pulling for you you know here's what i take here's what you take here's what we all take i mean 
Yeah, like I said, you don't reach this stage in the game without some kind of emotional damage. Some kind of uh, mental yeah. fuckery afoot. Nobody so. has ever really met a sane adult. All you have ever met is a person who's managed to cope with whatever happened to them in a way that makes them, at least presentationally or performatively, <laughs> uh, some sort of normal. Right. It, that's that's it. Normal. We've never met a sane adult. Right. Right. Whatever normal fucking means anymore. But, you know, bottom line is really, I think Kanye needs some help. I really hope he starts getting it. And I want to see him continue to be productive, continue to be an artist. Before that, something you know, bad happens. music that inspires people. Before something bad happens to him. Because he's encouraged violence against Pete Davidson. And he's got a very loyal fan base who, like mm -hmm. you said, if they saw Pete out in public, might jump him and make trouble for him. It, it's, it's just unfortunate that he and Donald Trump both are these absolute... Uh, Dunning-Kruger egomaniacs who uh, encourage violence against other people and then throw up their hands and say, I didn't say that, when somebody that they've targeted winds up getting hurt. So just cut that shit out. Knock it off and get better because the world doesn't need your negativity. I agree. Again, not the topic of the conversation. That's just something we definitely wanted to address because it's kind of in the public eye quite a lot right now. And, and, yep. and, and, and being a person who suffers from... Uh, anxiety and depression and things like that mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely something i wanted to to like we talk about destigmatizing it and, and making it more open and available to talk about i've never hide my issues i i bring my issues straight out in front and talk about them because i think we should be able to talk about them i think we should be able to address them and move on from them so yeah i mean i've got the same kind of issues i've got anxiety i've got depression uh, very recently i've been going on about uh, imposter syndrome uh, which has been kind of yeah. kicking my ass again lately, which is, for anyone not to know, the simplified version of that is, no matter how successful a creative person is, they always feel like they're not enough, that they're charlatans, that they're faking it. They're going to be found out. People are going to shut them down. People are going to tune them out. I'm going to be exposed them. as a fraud. Right. And so, I've been I've been writing professionally for 22 years, and every day I turn in my stuff, going, ah, "Is this gonna, is this really up to stuff? Is this the best I can do?" Right. Uh, it, at some point, I'm going to have an employee review, and they're going to say, "You know, maybe you've been doing this for a while, but you're just really not cutting the mustard because you're just not any good at this." And then I'll go ahead and do a project for my boss's boss because my boss is on PTO and he's he's uh, snowboarding, which is you know good for him, great. Uh, he's he he's des deserves that. He works his butt off. He works way harder than I do. And then I get asked to do a project, and then uh, I hear that I knocked it out of the park. So it's on the one hand, yeah, it's sad to, to have to need that external validation for your creativity. But on the other hand, I mean, if you're like us, we both are in bands. We've both been in bands on and off for years. We both do creative things like this podcast. We both write. We do all these things. So if you're doing something that's creative, that's intended for mass public consumption, uh, on some level, I think you kind of need to get the feedback that, hey, you didn't suck up there, or I read this thing and it's actually pretty good, or whatever it is. Um, as much as you don't want to externalize your validation uh, from, from what other people think of you, or externalize your self-worth to others' validation, to some extent, that definitely does help. If, if you create something that people are supposed to enjoy and they tell you they enjoy it, that, that's, that's a big deal. Right. I didn't even have a name for that shit. Back before I started yeah. the podcast, I got a really good friend of mine named Eric Trotman. Uh, he's been a guest of the show a couple of times. Uh, very talented comic writer, RPG writer, used to work for Wizards of the Coast and, and, and all of that. And, and so he's a really, really good friend. And he, and he works, uh, he did all my logos and everything too. So if you see a logo for Feel Your Fandom, he's the one who created yeah. it. But uh, uh, I didn't even have a name for it until I saw him post about something and I, and I read about it. 
and then I googled it and I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole learning about imposter syndrome and going hey this is exactly what the fuck I've got this is what I this is yeah. what's been punching me in the back of the head it's like holy shit I have a name for it now and it's like you yeah. name something and then all of a sudden now you have the power to fight that it. gives it power nah. yeah <laughs> it gives me power well between imposter syndrome and uh, the creative's paradox which is the thing where and I deal with this all the time too the act of doing a thing creatively makes you better at doing that thing. So by the time you're finished with it, you look back at the thing you just did and you go, I could do better than that because you improved over the course of actually doing it. So right. you wind up in this forever falling forward, never satisfied with what you just did because you always look back and go, I can do better than that because by definition you can because you got better doing it. And it just keeps you going forward because you're never actually satisfied with the shit you're doing. Right. And, and I've been fucking struggling with that, too, as far as rebuilding game consoles and everything. I went and took every one of my little uh, handheld game consoles out like a couple weeks ago, cleaned them all, and battery tested them all, and I found out that like five or six of my actual consoles from my collection, not the ones that I bought to refurbish, have stopped working. Ooh. And so they needed things done to them. Now, I haven't been able to fix the the links, and I haven't been able to fix the game gear, because those are capacitor issues more than likely. But I was able to take apart, uh, like I, I replaced the shell on a Game Boy, the original Game Boy, uh, that successfully. I replaced, uh, uh, like I said, the screen on that DSi. And then uh, I was able to open up and clean my Advance and get that thing working again, which is good because it's a, it's a more rare uh, version of the NES Advance, uh, Game Boy Advance. And then, I mean, so I, my skills are definitely up and up and up, but it's... Then I look at the failures. I've, I've broken a DS. I've broken a, a 3DS. I've broken a, a, a DSi. And it's like all these things. It's like as I go and as I learn, the, the stumbling blocks along the way kind of hit you. And they're like, ah, I should do better. I should know better. I should be better. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's a real thing. And again, the entire yeah. reason we talk about this is because we want to destigmatize talking about our mental issues, our mental problems. Because it should be something that we are open and free to talk about. There is no shame in admitting that you need help from time to time. Because we all do. No. And so, I mean, if that's something that no you're feeling or struggling with, uh, definitely. I mean, you could talk to us. You could talk to uh, a psychiatrist. Uh, you could talk to a friend. You could talk to the internet as a whole. And just find your group. Find your, your tribe and figure out how to deal with your own issues because mm -hmm. there's no shame in it. There's no shame in no. seeking help. Okay. Not subject to today's conversation, but definitely something that was on our minds at first and foremost because, you know, Kanye is such a big, huge public presence right now. But the thing that I, I, I came across the other day, and I was listening to a radio conversation and on this radio conversation, uh, it was my uh, friend of the show, BJ uh, Shea, his uh, morning show, BJ and Miggs, on uh, KISW here in, in the good old Pacific Northwest, the Seattle region. Um, big shout out to BJ. He's a huge supporter of our show, which I appreciate. But uh, they were talking about, on their show, chili. Traditional chili. Should it have beans? Should mm -hmm. it be meat? Should it be a combination of the two? And, and it was that point where I saw these definite camps forming along the, the people on the show, the call-in guests, where they were talking about their preferences. And so that kind of brought to mind, there's a whole lot of these kind of food feuds, if you will, or debates and yeah. 
And I mean, it stems from everything from uh, it's a hot dog, a sandwich, which we will get into, all the way up to, you know, pineapple on pizza or deep dish versus thin crust. And I mean, all the way down to the proper way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or to, to where do you put the cheese on your cheeseburger? You know, I mean, there's such definite opinions in the food community that uh, we kind of wanted to see where we, me and Jim and I, uh, come across. Uh, Jim being a proud member of the, uh, what is it, Mideast? I don't know, what do you call that region you're in? Uh, Midwest, yeah. Midwest. But you, I've been everywhere, and really you have too. We've both traveled quite a bit, both residentially and professionally. Right. And so... We've definitely probably got our own opinions as far as each of these uh, topics go. So I kind of wanted to see where we all weighed in on it. And then, of course, if you guys want to weigh in on it, we absolutely would welcome the uh, the feedback from you and, and find out where you guys sit with all of this. So uh, once again, you can reach out to us at any of the uh, pre-mentioned places on uh, Gmail or Facebook or, or wherever uh, you feel the need to reach out and touch us. Hey. Yeah, but, touch us. We like it. So we got this list, and, and I was looking around the internet. This is one of the more succinct lists. This is from uh, a website called The Daily Meal, and they call it The Greatest Food Debates of Our Generation, which mm-hmm. maybe it is, maybe it's not. But uh, the first one that they bring up, it is something that I've laughed about for years, but I've never actually considered, uh, is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? Now, when you think about a ravioli, you, of course, think the pasta dish with, you know, these soft, pillowy uh, pastas that have, uh, what is it, cheese or uh, spinach. I've had mushroom. I've had chicken. I mean, I've had raviolis of all sure. stripes. Uh, some of them have stripes. I've had a lobster mac that, or a lobster yeah. ravioli that has red and white stripes. But uh, it's a definite thing. And the one constant with ravioli is it's some kind of filling sandwiched between two layers which begs the question is a pop tart a ravioli because a pop tart is a filling between two dough layers which is what a ravioli is different kind of dough definitely a different presentation but uh these these questions i feel like are designed to just piss people off and get people amped up and that's why we like them so Jim, what do you think? Is a is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? I come down on the side of no, because ravioli is strictly Italian. It's it's an Italian thing, uh, even though there's a certain amount of uh, consternation over who invented the noodle, whether it was uh, Asian cultures, uh, China apparently invented the noodle, uh, but then it, was, it came to Italy through trade, whatever. But um, Italy definitely sort of... Um, Whereas China might have invented the noodle in all of its different varieties, uh, Italy invented the filled noodle, the filled pasta, whether it's tortellini, whether right. it's ravioli, whether it's what have you, um, even like a, a nice uh, big stuffed shell. Uh, these, these are things that are strictly Italian in nature. But Italian pastry, um, because ravioli is strictly defined as something that is savory, uh, whereas an Italian pastry, like a cannoli or a tiramisu, these are things that are, it's a different kind of dough. Right. Um, and there's other different kinds of filled pastries, like a Danish is kind of a filled pastry. Mm-hmm. Um, a Bismarck, even like a donut, is kind of a filled pastry. A punchki, if you're Polish. Um, 
So I think that the fact that it's it's a sweet as opposed to a savory dish uh, means that it's... And because uh, pasta, any kind of pasta, is traditionally boiled. If you're going to fry a pasta, which I've had fried ravioli, um, then that has to be... That, that requires an extra appellation of it's a fried ravioli. If somebody just says ravioli, the implication is that it's a boiled, filled pasta. Right. Uh, so the, the, the difference in the shell, the difference in the filling... I would come down on, on the side of uh, a Pop-Tart is definitely some kind of a pastry, but it is definitely not a ravioli any more than a calzone or a pasty as a ravioli. And that's kind of where this article uh, has set that up as well. Now, I, I agree with you. It's it's definitely put down to the presentation, the preparation, and, and the regional uh, dialect of where it's from. Uh, but what they, they've created these two hand pies, uh, which I kind of get as well. Uh, yeah. Made with a biscuit-style dough, sweet or savory, whatever. Um, but, uh, I mean, we have a lot of what they called, in this article, encased foods. Uh, yeah. From empanadas, dumplings, uh, calzones. To Byrox or uh, Arunza, if you're from Nebraska. But yeah, and, and, but what it boils down to, and if, pardon the pun, it, uh, it's the cooking method <laughs> and the uh, presentation and... Uh, uh, it's just not a pasta, thereby not a ravioli. So I'm able to accept that. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm going to read the next one, and then I'll let you go after that one. The next one uh, is a definite consternation, I think. Is deep dish a pizza, or is it a casserole? Now, I can see both sides of this. I, I'm a huge fan of pizza. Whether it's deep dish or thin crust or, or New York style crust or whatever you want to do. Pizza is pizza is pizza to me. I'll eat whatever. Uh, I think if you look at me, you'll see I'll eat whatever. But uh, deep <laughs> dish pizza is it's such a unique kind of thing to the, to the Chicagoland area. And uh, I don't know. It's difficult because it's so thick and so dense and prepared in a completely different and unique method from traditional if you want to call it traditional pizza that i don't know this one might hold a chance to stand in a little water jim what do you think uh i say it's pizza um and that's i fully allow that this is because i where i'm sitting right now is is not even two hours away from chicago um i i live sort of between chicago and milwaukee near the state line of uh, the border of wisconsin and illinois so the chicago food culture whether you're talking about italian beef sandwiches the chicago hot dog or the chicago deep dish pizza uh, it's been a very heavy influence, and I do say heavy both in terms of how much the food weighs and how much you weigh after you eat it. Uh, influence on the cuisine of the area. Right. And uh, the big debate usually breaks down between Chicago and New York. Now, they're both pizza. Let's just get that out of the way right, right out of the gate. They're both pizza, but they're different kinds of pizza. Um, the New York pizza is intended to be a grab-and-go, fold-it-in-half, shove-it-in-your-face, eat-on-the-street kind of thing. I love it. Um, it's, it's, it's paper-thin. It's, it's, uh, the, the cheese is baked to perfection. I have had New York pizza Greasy, in New York. Greasy, cheesy, and, beautiful. Yeah. Greasy, cheesy, huge slice. You grab a slice on a paper plate for a couple of bucks. You shove it in your face. You, you, you wipe off your hands. Dump the paper plate in one of those ubiquitous trash cans in New York. You get on the subway. You're done. But Chicago pizza is... Good luck. You have to kind of sit down. You got to plan for it. Uh, I have had Chicago pizza at uh, all the great places in Chicago that are are known for it. Your Giordano's, your your your, uh, your Gino's East, your your Lou Malnati's. These are all very famous Chicago pizza emporiums. I've eaten at all of them, 
and they all have their own slight variations on the theme, but the basic theme is it is a very deep pizza. It's made in a, a high-sided uh, cast iron pan that gives the, the, the crust this real crispiness. Uh, some of them use a, uh, a butter crust, some use a, like a cornmeal crust, and then you layer cheese over the crust and then dump sauce and meats or vegetables or whatever you want in with the sauce on top of the cheese. So it's not a casserole per se, because when I think of like Italian casserole, I think of like a baked ziti or like a lasagna. This is different. There's a crust to it. So it's it, it, the crust is what defines it as a pizza, because a pizza is a pie, a pie has a crust, and this this pizza pie, this this uh, Chicago pizza, has a crust. But it is the antithesis of the Chicago, of the New York pie, because you can't just grab it, fold it in half, and shove it in your face. you got to plan for it. If New York pizza is a folding chair, Chicago pizza is a lazy boy. <laughs> if New York pizza is a sack of just Lincoln logs, then Chicago pizza is a giant overstuffed teddy bear. They both have their place for when you want to use them for those things. Uh, they, they both serve a purpose. But for, for my money, and again, this might be a completely a, a regional bias, I prefer the Chicago pizza just because that's an experience. Um, New York pizza is a fuel. You grab it, you put it in your face, you keep on going. Chicago pizza, you got to plan for. You got to order it. It takes like 45 minutes. You got to sit down. You got to have a conversation. When it shows up, you have to really, you almost got to dive face first into it like it's a <laughs> swimming pool full of sauce and cheese. You have to. It's delicious. Um, I haven't it's had a good just, deep dish in so long. It, it's more of an experience. There's just more of it. It's it's rich. It's it's time consuming. You know you ate a pizza. It's not a grab and go, fold it and shove it thing. You, you got to plan for it. Um, they're both pizza, and in the grand scheme of things, I prefer the Chicago pizza. Although I definitely allow the New York style pizza absolutely has its place. Yeah, and apparent, and I, I kind of agree with you. Again, it's the crust that separates it. It's the crust that makes yep. it its own thing. If it was layers of crust, a la lasagna, then maybe that would be something different. But it's not. Uh, and, and famously, back in 2013, John Stewart from The Daily Show uh, went after mm-hmm. the deep dish, calling it a, quote, tomato soup in a bread bowl, which apparently got the uh, the dander up of quite a few people in Chicago area. So, But uh, I agree with you. Well, there, I think it's a variance, there are two kinds of people in the pizza. world. Yeah. Yeah. There's two kinds of people in the world, people who bag on Chicago pizza and people who've actually eaten it. Right. Give it a chance. Eat it. And, and a lot of these places, they will actually uh, overnight ship frozen pies you can put in your own oven at home, and you can get your own experience. But if you ever are in Chicago, you definitely have to experience the Chicago pizza, preferably one of the places I mentioned. Giordano's, Lou Malnati's, and Gino's East all have very good examples of this. But anywhere you go in Chicago that claims to have a deep dish pizza will have a variation on the theme. And, uh, yeah, the, you have to try it. It's just one of those things, like the Chicago hot dog, that is completely regionally unique and has its own charm. I, every, I've been all over the country, and I, I, every, every place I go, I try to eat whatever regional delicacy they have. When I was visiting my lady in Pennsylvania, um, I said, so there's the cheesesteak war. Which of the cheesesteaks do you prefer? And she said, aha, neither of the two that usually fight it out downtown. For the real cheesesteak, you got to go to Tony Luke's downtown because they don't just glop melty cheese whiz on top of it. I know you're a Midwesterner. You prefer real cheese. You don't like your cheese to start its life as a liquid. You're kind of picky <laughs> about it, and I am. I'm a Wisconsin person. I need real cheese. So we went to Tony Luke's, and it was it was fucking outstanding. But I've also had uh, both versions of the Coney Dog in Detroit. I've, I've had both of the Juicy Lucy's in Minnesota by both places that claim to have invented it. Uh, I've had the French dip at Philippe's in L.A., and I had the French dip at another place in L.A. that claims to have invented it. There are definitely these regional food specialties and these regional food rivalries, and, I, you know, I've, I've definitely got my opinion on uh, and how those stack up because oh, I try I know any you place do. I go to eat their local cuisine. I yeah. know you do. That's what brought this conversation. 
conversation up. I'm like, ah, Jim's going to have some shit to say. So Hell yeah. All right, well, you get the next one. Take it away. All right, well, the next thing on the list is, um, do beans belong in chili? Now, I had a very long conversation with Daniela this week about that. Uh, my wife, uh, for those of y'all who don't know, but uh, we, we were talking about it, and uh, I think what we came down on the side of is it depends on where you're from. It depends on, you know, your purpose for it. I've always seen uh, beans in chili as being a replacement for meat, uh, a protein yes. uh, replacement if you're, like, and and what you think about it is like if you're too poor for meat or if the meat's not of a good enough quality, then you substitute yeah, you the beans. You can stretch the beans in your chili. Right, That's exactly really how it that. started. And and but for me, for me personally, I don't have a preference. I've had really really good bean chili. I've had super good meat chili. I've had awesome combinations of the two. My chili that I prefer to make is a fifty fifty split. I mean, I've had good chili that has both i mean i make my chili uh, my chili the last one i made was for the uh, show that i used to do the cooking and complicated uh, youtube show and my labor day chili had uh, several different kinds of meat it had beans and my old bandmate josh i uh, like to make what he called nine animal chili and it's exactly what hmm. it sounds like it's got nine different kinds of animal meat in it uh, it's definitely not uh, vegan or vegetarian friendly. And I want to say it was something like uh, there was rabbit and uh, rattlesnake or snake. I don't know if it was rattlesnake, Oof. but a gator was it's in it. A lot of animals. And, yeah, I mean, he went crazy yeah. with it. I mean, it was delicious. I, I had the point gator last time I was in New Orleans. I didn't know what it's animal I was eating at any particular time, which is the only disconcerting bit. I mean, it's just assorted random animal, but it was good. It was good flavor-wise, but... Yeah. Uh, what do you, well, where do you when fall When it comes to chili... This? Well, I think um, you're absolutely right about how beans introduced into chili came as a means of kind of stretching the chili if the meat was scarce. And that, I think, is why, more than anything, uh, Texas chilies, traditional Texas chili does not have any beans in it at all because Texas is a cattle ranching state. Texas has a whole lot of meat, so they don't need to stretch with the beans. Uh, so they don't. And I think, um, again, like the aforementioned... Um, uh, Aaron de Arrive, who is uh, both a chili master, his Dune chili is famous um, because he, you know, he makes the. He's a big fan of Dune. We're going to talk to Aaron about Dune coming up pretty soon. Yes, uh, we both are. The classic film, the book, and the current film. Uh, but he makes Dune chili based on uh, Frank Herbert's uh, sort of like spice thing, which is pretty interesting. I've not had it because I, 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 yeah, I've not had the privilege of sampling Aaron's Dune chili. But everybody that, in his comments on Facebook that that has eaten it just raves about it. So I'm hoping someday to be able to sample that. But he is a Texan. He lives in Austin, and so his chili, I'm sure, has no beans in it. Um, as a personal preference, again, this kind of comes down to the pizza thing. I, I prefer Chicago pizza, but acknowledge that New York pizza has its place. I actually don't necessarily care for the texture of kidney beans, which is your traditional chili bean. So therefore, I prefer uh, chili without beans in it. I will still eat chili with beans in it. I just tend to like the stuff without. I acknowledge the, the, uh, the tradition and the history and the validity of beanie chili. It's just not my personal preference. Um... But I just don't make a lot of chili. And, and now that we've been talking about this, I actually really want chili. So I'm sure I'll make it pretty soon um, because uh, a, a good chili is, is, uh, is a delicious thing. But when I make my own chili, I'm just going to leave the beans out of it. Yeah, I get that. I mean, and I definitely understand it. But uh, uh, I, I kind of, I, I don't know. I don't mind the texture. I make pintos religiously. I love making just uh, pinto beans, smoked pintos. and um, So I get it. But, 
Like, I like beans. I'm a fan of legumes in most circumstances, but uh, I just, the way they're cooked in chili, the texture of them, they wind up being kind of like little hot bags of mush, and they just don't feel good in your mouth, and they're, they're a little bit weird tasting. Um, I mean, I'll still eat them. I'll still eat them. If somebody serves me a nice big bowl of chili with beans in it, I'll eat the shit out of it and say thank you and ask for seconds, but I just, when I make my own, I don't put any beans in. <laughs> Wet bags of mush. Gotta love it. All right. So... Now, looking at this article that we're talking through, it looks like uh, uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, if you ask Texans, they say the beans have no business being in chili, but, I mean, it's, it's kind of all over the place. It's kind of up to interpretation, so there's no real right or wrong answer, unless you live in Texas, which, of course, uh, means you don't like beans in your chili, but whatever. All right, next one. Does ketchup belong on a hot dog? Yes. Fuck no. Next question. Oh, Fuck no. Contention. Hell no. This is what we're here for, people. I like my Costco dogs. Now, I love a good Costco hot dog. I like to have it just a bit charred. I like to have ketchup on one side. And I like to have mayonnaise on the other side. Fight me if you want. I know you hate Mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Okay, right you there. You, you, have, you, you are not qualified to express any more food opinions if you're going to be a fan <laughs> of mayonnaise in any context, much less on a tube steak. Hells to the no. <laughs> Please don't talk about mayonnaise on a tube steak. That just sounds horrible. Well, you're has, the one who eats it. Jim has definite opinions about mayonnaise. He has for years. And I believe, uh, what, what, what's the exact term you usually use for mayonnaise? Mayonnaise is Satan's smegma. That's what it is. Right, which is... When you hear about it, but. I mean it's 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 eggs, oil, and vinegar. Right. You know, oil and vinegar is fine on a salad, but that's what it really boils down to for me. Everybody's got that one food they can't eat under any circumstances. That just one yuck food, and mine has always been eggs. Even as a kid, my mom would try to feed me hard or soft boiled eggs uh, or scrambled eggs as a kid, and I would just cry and spit them back out on the high chair. And it was the one food I didn't like. To this day, I can't eat eggs. Any I'll eat kind of something. eggs? Like I'll have a. Ah, oh, God, I can't eat eggs. I, I'll have, like if they're, uh, I just made pancakes the other day and I put an egg in the batter. Uh, I just did an egg wash on some chicken strips I fried up last night. If it's an ingredient in something, fine. But I, like uh, if it's the primary ingredient, like an omelet or a scrambled egg or a frittata, or just get it off my plate. I just can't stand them. Never have been able to. And because mayonnaise is mostly eggs, and not just eggs, but like cold, gloppy, coagulated eggs. Um, mayonnaise was invented mm. by the French... The, the revolting French, um, and it wound up being a revolting uh, condiment. Uh, the French were, were, were in the middle of the revolution, but they came up with mayonnaise as a means of, of covering spoiled food so they could, like, it was a, literally a lubricant. It was a lubricant for spoiled produce because during the revolution, that was all they got. They, they kind of had to survive on scraps, so cover up the smell of the spoiled food with, with something that's essentially a throat lubricant and get it down your gullet so maybe you can live to fight another day and you can see that billionaire beheaded, whatever. But the lubricant. wisdom of covering up spoiled food with something even more disgusting has always eluded me. I just, even the smell of the stuff. And the thing, if you put it on a sandwich, once it's been introduced to the equation of the sandwich, it can no longer be extricated because it gets all over everything. It soaks into the bread. It slimes up all the condiments. It slimes up all the meat. Whatever the vegetables you have, forget it. Mayonnaise mm. is the most disgusting substance in the universe. You sold me when you called it throat lubricant. Ugh, God, it's awful. <laughs> Uh, gagging over here. Okay, but mayonnaise wasn't the my personal preference aside. Mayonnaise wasn't the the question. 
The question no, it's ketchup. was, does ketchup belong on a hot dog? I say yes, you say no. Uh, go ahead and, and expound on that, Mr. Chicago Dog. Well, mine is regionally informed, once again, because the Chicago Dog is, I feel, the finest expression of the hot dog. Um, hot dogs were invented as just being a very low-cost way to get some meat into your body back in the, you know, the Industrial Revolution. It was, it was a forced meat. It was, a, it was like lips and assholes, and you just you know, minced it together, spiced it up, put it in a casing, and cooked it up and called it a day. It was a way to get rid of meat byproducts. Uh, hot dogs have come up quite a bit in quality since then, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I love the Chicago Dog, because the Chicago Dog is all Vienna beef. Uh, it's high-quality cuts of meat. It's not lips and assholes. It's not scraps or byproducts or whatever you have left over. Um, it's actually an all-beef hot dog, and it's got to be boiled, so it has that snap when you bite into the skin. But a Chicago Dog is not just the dog. It's got to be a Vienna beef hot dog, yes, but it's served on a... A, a steamed poppy seed bun, which is very important, and the Chicago dog traditionally has celery salt, a little bit of lettuce, a couple of tomato wedges, some sport peppers, uh, slices of cucumber, and mustard, and that is all it has. See, I'm not There's a no huge mustard fan. I, I've gotten better over oh. the years, but but like uh, originally, like growing up, I was never a huge fan of any kind of mustard, Dijon, yellow, stone ground. See, I love that. me some mustard. I'm getting there. Like, I mean, it's building slowly over the garden. I like, I'm a huge fan of honey mustard lately, and I know that's not a, that's a different thing entirely, but. That I, still I, counts. I'm getting there. I'm getting there, so. Well, okay. Oh, so the if, relish. I forgot to mention the relish. The relish is also very important. That it's got to be deal. a very specific kind of, uh, it, no, neither. It's its own kind of relish. It's specifically a Chicago hot dog relish. What is it? It's nuclear green. It's put out by the Vienna Hot Dog people as an accompaniment. It's like nothing else you've ever had. It's not sweet nor dill. It's It's got a very intense flavor. It's in, And you can tell by the color whether it's the right relish or not. It's incredibly, right. uh, like an almost British racing green, like a, like an MG. It's, it's I'm sure I've seen color. it. I just never had it. And then a pickle spear in addition to that, which is why you're getting, you're getting kind of twice the pickles. And the original idea of the Chicago dog was it was <clears throat> uh, put together to feed stockyard workers on the south side of Chicago. They'd be down there working at the, uh, the meatpacking plants, and they would uh, put out the hot dogs. And the hot dog, the idea was to drag it through the garden is what they called it. So it came with all these vegetables on it. It was a meal on a bun um, plus the, uh, the mustard. But it's never included ketchup. And if you ask for ketchup... Um, Anywhere in any self-respecting Chicago hot dog emporium, they have it. You're gonna but get that side you're eye. gonna you're gonna get looked at crooked. And if you go to some place that specializes in abuse, like the Wiener Circle or Red DeBevix, they're going to make you feel like an inch tall by giving you the oh, this baby wants some hot. I do want some ketchup on your hot dog. Oh, here you go. You want me to put it down for you? I'll cut it up for you because it really is seen as being one of those things that's just for an unrefined palate. It's kind of like the the the. Uh, the, the Tex-Mex taco versus the traditional street taco. Your Tex-Mex taco comes on a hard shell. It's got some sour cream. It's got some cheese on it, whatever. Lettuce but if you get, like, blah, the street blah, blah, taco, the, the, you can still get ground beef, but most of the time it's, like, a minced cooked meat with a little bit of lime from a fresh-squeezed lime wedge and some onions and cilantro on a double corn tortilla, and that's it. And I, um, I got a good so love this in my is heart kind for of both like, of those, so, I mean... Well, I do, too. I do, too. Um, but, you know, to, to, to me, and again, this is a, a total bias, and I admit that. It's regionally informed. The finest expression of the hot dog is the Chicago dog. I love a good Chicago dog. It's got that snap, the poppy seeds, got that relish, uh, the celery salt. It's amazing. It's an amazing dog. And, again, it's one of those things that if you're going to badmouth it, it's just because you haven't tried it yet. And I think a lot of these regional foods I'm going to have to try when I come up and visit you. That way I can 
be properly informed. But like up here, one of my favorite examples of a hot dog is a, a club I used to play at in Tacoma called Hell's Kitchen. And I would love playing there because every time I would go there, they had what they called the murder dog. And what the murder dog mm. was was a bacon-wrapped, deep-fried hot dog. You so, got me already. All right. And then a toasted hoagie roll with soft cream cheese spread on both sides. And then uh, dill pickle relish. And it's it's simple. It's simple as all hell. About 8 million calories and fan-fucking-tastic. I'd eat like two yeah. of those and regret my life decisions. But... But, uh, no, I wouldn't put ketchup on that one either. So I guess it is kind of a regional thing. Uh, take it as you will. I mean, ketchup is pretty ubiquitous as a condiment goes. Um, throat lubricant. That's all it is. That's all it was invented to do is be throat lubricant. <laughs> you just... Ugh. And well, that debating about the hot dog leads us into the next point, which is the one of the the, the classic uh, d- debates when it comes to this kind of thing: are hot dogs sandwiches? Wow. Okay. So this one, this one's got it's a lot of play all over the place. And in fact, uh, uh, Good Mythical Morning has a, uh, their Good Mythical Chef Josh has a podcast called "Is a Hot Dog a Sandwich?" And and you know, you hear this argument all the time. It's usually voiced in the same breath as the should pineapple go on pizza or should ketchup go on a hot dog. But uh, yes, short answer, a hot dog is a sandwich because it is, it is, it is item served between bread. Whether the bread is, is halved or hollowed out like a hot dog bun or split, it's a sandwich. I mean, that'd be a, uh, the people who say it's because the bread is not divided have obviously never been to Subway because yeah. they don't cut their bread all the way in half. No, they, they don't. They cut uh, like a wedge, <clears throat> like some kind of weird wedge out of it and then open it up and fill it that way. But, uh, um, but the bread is still connected around the back, kind of like a hot dog bun. And so the yeah. obvious answer is, yeah, that's still a sandwich. A hot dog is a sandwich. It is a filling hot dog is undeniably bread. a sandwich. Filling between bread. Yes. Because, again, the shape does not determine that. If you look at, like you said, like a sub or a hoagie, or if you look at uh, uh, even uh, sandwiches, like there's another regional specialty that's from Chicago that I have to have you have when you come up here is the Italian combo sandwich. It's so a, an Italian sausage. Oh, my God. It's an Italian sausage in like a, a hoagie roll, like a nice big crusty almost baguette. And it's got a, um, an Italian sausage in there and a, a pound of Italian beef, which is thin sliced, long simmered in like a spiced au jus with oregano and Italian spices. Beef that's very tender. You pile that on top. And then maybe some red sauce and also some shredded mozzarella. And they take the entire sandwich in, with tongs. They dunk it into the au jus. Oh. So the bread soaks all that up. And they wrap it up in foil. And by the time you get it, the cheese is a little bit melted. You take it out. It's nice and squishy. And there's a, uh, But it's a long sandwich that's on a sub-style bun. And there's a lot of sandwiches that come on sub-style buns that nobody looks at them twice as, as far as being sandwiches. Right. And even the Chicago, uh, the Chicago Italian combo has an Italian sausage in it, but it's also got shredded or sliced beef. But the, the presence of the, the, the sausage, the length of the bread, does nothing to dissuade anybody from saying those are sandwiches. So undeniably, a hot dog is a sandwich. Uh, it's a specific uh, kind of sandwich. But a hamburger is also a sandwich. Agreed. And then, oh, of course, now we have to ask the question. Because it's a bread, uh, is a gyro a sandwich? 
Yes, a gyro is absolutely also a sandwich. That's my next point. bread. But what about a yeah. soft taco? Um, a soft taco, I'm going to say, is not a sandwich. Tortilla is bread-like. It's similar to a pita. But it's not a bread. Um, wraps and tortillas are not sandwiches. Be- oh, neither are tacos. Because they branch off of a different trunk of the culinary family tree. A taco is not a sandwich. The reason why I know a taco is not a sandwich is if you go to a, a Mexican restaurant, they're going to have tortas on the menu also. A torta is a Mexican sandwich. But anything that's got, a, and it's got bread, it's got a, a bread and there's condiments, it's often sometimes the same as like a, uh, anything else you put inside of a tortilla, whether it's a chimichanga or whether it's a burrito or a taco or what have you, but it's on a piece of bread, therefore that makes it a Mexican sandwich, i.e. a torta. So even, you know, people who come from like Mexican food culture don't consider tacos sandwiches. They're not sandwiches. Um, the tortilla is a different kind of bread. Um, naan is a bread, a pita is a bread, a tortilla is not a bread. It's a starch, it's a carb, but it's not a bread. I would eat a sandwich made with non bread. Do a butter chicken sandwich. I'd eat the shit out of that. God, yeah. You know, non is bread. Flatbread is bread. Uh, uh, even um, non, I put in the same category as as um, uh, like lavash or like um, matzo or like unleavened breads. Breads, I think, have to be leavened. Um, and even though a, a non and a hala, or no, not hala, a non, a matzo, <laughs> and a, a pita. They're unleavened. There's a certain texture that's bread-like, um, whereas a tortilla is not bread-like. It's a little bit more like rubbery, um, or not rubbery, but it's it's papery kind of almost. Whereas it doesn't have that that chew to it. So anything that comes out of tortilla, because a tortilla is, I don't think, doesn't qualify as bread. Doesn't qualify as a sandwich. If it's a bread with condiments and filling, meat and/or vegetables, then it is a sandwich. But anything that comes off of like the Latino branch of the of the food family tree, I don't consider it a sandwich because neither do they. And that's why I, that's how I define it. So, yeah, uh, I think pretty definitively we can both agree that a hot dog is a sandwich. Fight us on it. A hot dog is a sandwich. Send us your opinions. Fight us on it. That's fine. Uh, But speaking of sandwiches, uh, what do we call these sandwiches that come on a roll? Do we call them hoagies? Do we call them grinders? Do we call them heroes? Do we call them subs? Does it matter? I want to say um, they're yeah. all subs. They're all branched off of the sub line. We were talking about that before we yep. started uh, recording today. And, and For sure. I, I definitely think because now you had an opinion of why, but and you've got an opinion about a lot of these things, which is why I brought this up. I sure but, do. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and give everybody the opinion. Why, why, is a, why is it all a sub to you? Well, I think a sub is the overarching umbrella that defines the rest of these kinds of sandwiches. Uh, a hoagie is a sub. A grinder is a sub. A hero is a sub. They're all different kinds of subs. You can go to different places in the country and you can order a hero, a grinder, or a hoagie, and they're going to know what you're talking about. But if you order any one of those outside of the specific region where they call a sub sandwich that, they're likely not going to know what the fuck you're talking about. Or they're going to say, oh, you're from Area X, or whatever. But anywhere you go, if you order a sub, they're going to know what you're talking about. There are several national sub chains, whether it's Subway or Quiznos or Jersey Mike's or Blimpy or whatever you have, and they all define themselves as sub-sandwich restaurants. Anywhere you go, you can order a sub, and whether or not they have a, another regional name for it that they use among themselves, they're still going to know what the hell you're talking about if you ask for a sub. But if you ask for a hoagie outside of like the East Coast, 
They're not going to know. If you ask for a hero, they might think you said a euro, and they might say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't serve that here, but there's a Greek place three doors down, whatever. But if you ask for a sub, a sub, you can ask for that anywhere, and they're going to know what the hell you're talking about. So I consider any other name for a sub a sub name for subs, because sub is the overarching umbrella term that we use to refer to that family of sandwiches, and everybody knows what you mean when you say it. A sub name. I love it. I just, I had a Quiznos not that long ago. Most of the Quiznos around here shut down not that long ago, but... Uh... Well, there's a reason for that, actually. Uh, Quiznos as a chain, uh, they used to be pretty ubiquitous, but a lot of them were shut down because they all needed to be independently franchise-owned and operated. And at one point, the Quiznos Corporation kind of lowered the boom on a lot of these different independent operators and said, yeah, you're, you are an independent restaurant, but if you're going to... Um, be a Quiznos location and you're going to license that name, you have to buy ingredients from only our approved suppliers. And so your food costs just doubled or tripled in, in many cases. Mm. So some of the lower performing stores that were then being forced to either use the Quiznos approved purveyors of, of goods or lose their ability to use the name, either converted to something else or just shut entirely. So uh, Quiznos uh, used to be everywhere, but then they did some corporate Machiavellian shenanigans type stuff behind the scenes some shenanigans and a lot of them closed down they, they I think they're about 15 to 20 percent of what they used to be in terms of overall locations which sucks because I really really enjoy Quiznos I forgot how much I really they make a good them. sandwich yeah I had that what they do it, make the, a good sandwich we love what was it the the beef the the thick slice prime rib beef um the cheese bread and the hot sauce oh, I was fantastic and they got a really good sauce on, and then they toast it for you without you even having to ask. I mean, Subway actually picked up that whole toasting thing from Quiznos as a means of competing with them. So, yeah. Um, good stuff. But I think if you ask for a sub anywhere, you'll get a sub anywhere. I tend to agree. Now, the next question is, this one is definitely up to personal taste and personal interpretation because everyone's got their opinion and neither of them is wrong because you still get to eat this and it's chicken wings. Is a chicken wing better if you're eating the drum, which is the piece that looks like a little drumstick, even though it's not? Or is the chicken wing better when you're eating the flat, the other part of the wing? I know where I stand on this. I'll let you go mm -hmm. first. Flatter drum, Jim. First and foremost, I'm not a huge, huge fan of wings because wings are a lot of work for not a lot of reward. Um, the, the traditional wing uh, did start in Buffalo when apparently somebody didn't get their shipment and all they had was wings. So they decided, well, we'll just cook up the wings and try and sell them. They wound up being a hit. Um, wings, there's just not enough meat on them to bother with. They're very stringy. They're very gristly. They're very bony. But when it comes to wings, if I'm going to eat wings, I tend to prefer the drums over the flats for one simple reason. The drums have one bone to work around. The flats have two. The meat to bone ratio is just higher on the drum than it is the flat. The flat is too much work for the amount of meat you get off of it. It's just not worth the effort. If I'm going to eat wings at all, it's going to be the drums. I'll eat them both, but I prefer the drums for sure. Say that again slower. Meat to bone ratio. Don't eat meat, but show like the bone. Yeah, the meat to bone ratio is just higher on the drums than it is the flats. You're not working as hard. See, and I go the other way. I like uh, the flats, and I like it specifically because uh, when you get the flats, you get a lot more of the skin texture. Uh, which is what I really like in a chicken wing, is, is the, the crispy skin. And so you got more surface area for the skin alone, whereas the drums uh, a lot of times don't even have the skin on it. They have just the meat that is covered in the sauce. And so 
I tend right. to, to to go more towards the drums because I like that uh, chicken skin texture. So. Well, that's another another thing to think about is that a lot of times, depending on how people cook the wings, depending on where you go, sometimes the skin is just rubbery as opposed to crispy because they didn't bother cooking it first or they don't do it right. They just kind of toss it in the sauce and then cook it. Um, I like crispy chicken skin, but rubbery chicken skin is just kind of gross. Gross, yeah. So... It's always a crapshoot whether you're not going to get a, a, a flat with a crispy or rubbery skin on it. But because the drummies don't usually have much skin, if any, you're also not dealing with a possible, you know, dice roll on whether or not the skin is going to be rubbery or crispy. Yeah, see, I go to the, whenever I go to the wing bars at the, at the local grocery stores and get the wings, uh, I am able to pick out all of the flats and just do an entire bag full yeah. of flats, which I really enjoy. But Now, that being said, a subset of this category that is not on the list, but I'm going to throw it out there anyways... Is a boneless wing a wing? I'm going to say no. no. It's a chicken nugget. No. It's a nugget, yeah. It has nothing it's a to nugget. do with And it's got wing. its place, too. If a nugget is usually defined as a white meat chicken piece that's deep fried, breaded, battered, whatever you have, um, the, the wing is defined by the bone. Much like the sandwich is defined by the bread and the pizza is defined by the crust, if it doesn't have a bone, it's just a nugget. And that's not a controversial opinion at all. No, I make fun of my wife every time because she doesn't like... Uh, eating meat off the bone. Uh, don't read into that, you perverts. Don't eat meat, but show like the bone. But uh, she doesn't like having to deal with the bones while she eats chicken, so she prefers... I don't blame her. ...boneless wings. And so uh, I always make fun of her when we buy boneless wings. It's like, oh, so you're getting chicken nuggets. Okay. I honestly don't mind uh, bones, I, I, but I'm, I'm kind of with her on that one. I kind of prefer to not have not have to work. It's not it's not like it's a thing like the vegans was. Oh, if you're eating actual meat off of a bone. Yeah, I know where meat comes from. It's not that. It's just <laughs> ease of actually eating it. If you have to work around a bone, it's kind of a pain in the ass. It's still worth it, but not having to deal with bones. It, it, I just, I don't know, I prefer that, honestly. I, whenever I go to buy chicken, I always buy tenderloins or I buy the boneless, skinless chicken breasts or the boneless, skinless chicken thighs, depending on what I'm making. Because even though, yeah, it's ostensibly more flavorful to have the bone in it, it's just a hassle when you're trying to cook it and eat it to yeah. dick around with the bone. I always prefer boneless cuts of chicken. It's just easier to work with. Here's another one that I find very contentious. How crispy should your bacon be? We were just talking about crispy chicken skin and how crispy chicken skin needs to be crispy to be acceptable. I agree with this. Yeah. And as far as bacon goes as well, I'm sorry for all of you chewy bacon lovers out there. You are wrong. If a bacon we're is gonna not fight about crispy... This one. Oh, you like limpy bacon? No. No, I don't like wimpy bacon, but there is a there's a, a threshold. There's a tipping point between when bacon is done, it is a pork product. You gotta cook it all the way through. Or you die. Um, even though it's smoked and a lot of the, yeah, well, you gotta cook it to the point where it's thoroughly cooked. But if you cook it to the point where it shatters and you bite into it, fuck you. That's bacon mm. bits that's waiting to break. It's not a it's not bacon. Bacon should still have some chew to it. If you if you pick it up and it's completely stiff and you put it in your mouth, it's gonna crunch. No, there's got to still be some chew to it. No. Who likes crunchy meat? I mean, if you bite Me. into a sandwich, do you want your turkey to be crunchy? Sometimes. I mean, crispy chicken skin notwithstanding, do you want like, do you want your meat to be crunchy? Unless it's like a baked pepperoni cup on the top of a pizza with some crispy edges on it that's still chewy. I don't want crunchy meat. I want uh, chewy meat. Meat's I, supposed to have some teeth to it. I disagree, and I'll tell you why. I love the texture of crunchy bacon. When I was uh, married to my first wife, we won't mention her name because it's not worth mentioning, but she was not a vegetarian, but she didn't eat beef or pork. 
So one of the things that if I wanted to have bacon in the house and and not face judgment or whatever, I would have to eat turkey bacon. And for me, turkey bacon, you had to fry that shit to a crisp. That shit had to be meat chips uh, to oh. eat it because it's just such a different thing. Uh, and that was the closest way that I could get it to approximate real bacon is to have so it be like that. because she couldn't eat pork, you couldn't either. I just preferred not to have the fight, honestly. Wow. I did. Okay. I would eat it when I went to restaurants and everything, but it was very it was very weird for me when I started dating afterwards uh, to see a woman have a steak or to have you know pepperoni on their pizza. It was a completely different thing for me, and, and it took a while to grow out of that, which is completely fucking nuts, but uh, it's just the mental part. But uh, I love a good crunchy bacon. I love it. Now, that said, the way you're discussing bacon, I wouldn't kick that out of bed either. But I'll always have in the back of my head going, oh, you know, that's kind of underdone. Uh, I, I just prefer, and, and there's people, Jim, there's people out there that prefer bacon limp and floppy. And I can't do it. It's rubbery. No, it's got to be done. It's got to be thoroughly cooked. It's got to be a different color than when you take it out of the package. Or why bother? <laughs> right? But at least, you know, uh, once a week, um, I try to try to, to make a breakfast. And I have a griddle. That I pull out and I put it on the stovetop, and then I put pancakes on it and I put bacon on it. And the bacon should still bend when I pick it up with the fork to flip it over to cook the other side of it. And when I pick it up, it should actually have some flexibility to it uh, because it, I, I still want it to have some chew to it. And I also, uh, part of that has to do with the fact that I also buy really thick cut bacon. Um, if you buy the really super thin stuff, it's easy to cook it to the, to the, the breaking point. Um, but I like the thick cut bacon uh, because it, it's uh, it's just I don't know it just tastes I love better to me. Thick cut bacon too. Oh, you're right. Well, I didn't figure we'd agree that on, the on that one. I didn't figure we'd agree on that one. We cook them in the oven. We actually have a a baking sheet with the the uh, I use the the baking rack in the sheet, but my wife doesn't. But, yeah. But we just lay it out on the baking sheet and bake it in the oven at 350, and when it's done, it's done. Yeah. And About my, 20 minutes. My kids enjoy it crunchy as well, which I think is because I'm raising them right. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to skip through a few of these because we're kind of running low on time here. But uh, one of the big, most contentious ones in the food community, uh, aside from, is a hot dog a sandwich. And the one you're going to hear the most argued and the most debated, and certainly there's the most opinion one way or another on it, is pineapple an ingredient that belongs on pizza yes yes i agree i, I think pineapple 100 yes and and, the, and i don't think I, I could hate pineapple and say it belongs on a pizza i i could say avocado doesn't belong on a pizza but here's the yeah. thing it all boils down to who's eating it and it's right. kind of the same argument with ketchup on a hot dog but you know i know you got your regional shit about that but but think of it this way if you're the one eating it, eat it however you want. If you want pineapple right. on your pizza, mazel tov, enjoy. It's fantastic in its own right. But there are people who get real uppity and up in arms about it and have real definite, no, pineapple is a fruit. It doesn't go on a pizza. You wouldn't put a tomato in a smoothie. And it's like, ugh. Well, okay. no, but a tomato is also a fruit, and tomato sure goes on pizza. If you're going to break it down to strictly etymological, biological categorization, tomato is a fucking fruit, and you make your marinara sauce, and you put That's it true. on your pizza. So fuck you. It's true. Um, I say pineapple belongs on pizza. I love pineapple on pizza. Although, I don't... It's got to be a specific kind of pizza, for me. And again, I agree with you. 
whatever food opinions you have, if you like it, eat it and don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. But which is, I think, the be all end all message of this whole episode. But yeah, I wouldn't necessarily put pineapple like if I'm having a. I, the build-your-own pizza idea. Now, every restaurant that serves pizza will have certain kinds of pre-configured pizza. You can get your garbage pizza with all the things on it. You can get your meat lover's pizza with, you know, like your nine-animal chili with all kinds of different kinds of meat on it. Mm, Pepperoni, ground beef, bacon, whatever. Um, but the Hawaiian pizza, which, again, my, my, my buddy Kermit Apio, who's a uh, comedian who is Hawaiian, uh, is, he does a great bit on this, and I won't spoil it for you, but uh, Google him, Kermit. He spells his name with an E, two E's. Uh, Kermit Apio, A-P-I-O. Look him up on YouTube. He's hilarious. But um, he's got definite opinions on Hawaiian pizza, being Hawaiian himself. But if you are making a pizza with some pineapple, a little bit of ham, and maybe some bacon, uh, then that's a good flavor combination. I wouldn't just go willingly putting, like, pineapple on, like, a garbage pizza. I also wouldn't order a garbage pizza, because the two things I don't like on pizza... Uh, are black olives and green peppers. I don't care for them. I, I, I recognize that they're fine. Other people do like them. They're just not for me. Uh, same with anchovies. Those are the only three things I'll never get on a pizza. If you put literally anything else on a pizza, I will eat the shit out of it. But those three things, no. But I, don't I think also I've wouldn't ever take like had pineapple. No, they're like they're hairy little fish. They're <laughs> anchovies are fine if you're putting them like in a soup stock or if they're dried and you're like actually I've had them shaving with slices salad. of them off that'll melt into a broth. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Caesar dressing, traditional Caesar dressing does have a little bit of anchovy in it. It's a very glutamate-heavy um, dried fish. It's very salty, and it's uh, it lends a certain... But it's also very fishy if you don't do it right. It's always, again, like the, the crispy versus rubbery chicken skin. It's a crapshoot when you order it. Are you going to get the good anchovies? Are you going to get the crap anchovies? So it's just not worth the effort. But... Yeah, I wouldn't just put pineapple on like a meat lover's pizza. If I'm doing like four or five different kinds of meat, I got some some bacon, some ham, some ground beef, some some pepperoni and some Italian sausage. I'm not putting pineapple on that. But in context with other different kinds of complementary flavors, the sort of like sweet, salty, savory combination tends to be kind of like... Anybody who thinks, no, pineapple doesn't belong on pizza, I'm just like, I am so sorry for your unsophisticated palate because, you know... It's not there's, there's exactly for everybody, but savory. there's something to be said. Yeah, about. like putting like a, a, a wedge of uh, we, we we do this in the Midwest sometimes. You put a wedge of cheddar cheese, sharp cheddar cheese, on your apple pie as much as you would ice cream. Um, there are certain flavor combinations that are just really good with like like a like a salted caramel. It's it's really interesting when you kind of it's like if you've ever seen um, ratatouille where the rat kind of has synesthesia a little bit because he'll bite like the chunk of cheddar and bite like the, the strawberry and then the colors swirl up over his head and it makes like a new flavor. If you if you can appreciate those kind of things, great. Uh, and if you don't, again, like you said, it boils down to eat what you like and don't eat what you don't. But to thoroughly across the board condemn and say pineapple doesn't belong on pizza, I think is short-sighted, dull-palated, and ignorant. Which is funny because I believe Gordon Ramsay came down on the no side of things, so... Interesting. Well, he's also Scottish and learned to friend, cook, cook for French people and lives in England. So they have different <laughs> things over there, you know? He's a bit conflicted. He's not an Italian cook. He's not an Italian chef. All right. And then the last one we're going to discuss, just because we're running low on time. We, we could definitely go on about this for hours. And, and again, if you guys have a version of a food debate that you want uh, mentioned, uh, send us an email. Send us a, a message on Facebook. We can... Uh, Definitely do a follow-up on this uh, as warrants, but uh, the last one I'm going to pull up, and uh, I've only recently been able to weigh in on this one, is In-N-Out versus Shake Shack. Now, it's been a hot damn minute since I've had a Shake Shack, but 
for a smash burger for a for a good uh, just a griddle cooked burger in and out is fantastic and i've only recently within the last year been party to that but ever since i'm kind of i'm addicted to it i'm i'm hooked i love a good in and out burger i mean jim what do you think have you had both I could do a whole episode just on regional burgers because this is one of these things I'm incredibly passionate about. I have been pretty much everywhere. You know this. I've been all over the country for work and for travel. Uh, I'm a travel writer, so I uh, even before I had that job, I was still a copywriter, and I went all over the country for work. And I have had pretty much every specialty regional burger there is. And the In-N-Out Burger, while a good burger, does not even make my top ten. Mm. I think it's a talk, fine burger. There's we talked nothing wrong about with this it. while I was in the desert and I was eating them for the first yeah. time. I know we had this conversation. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, we did. Uh, it's a fine burger. There's nothing wrong with that burger at all. Um, but I think it just gets overhyped because Californians kind of like to pretend what they have is better than what everybody else has, even though a lot of the times it just isn't the case. Now, <laughs> the rivalry that, uh, uh, that, that you're talking about, the Shake Shack versus In N Out, I've had both and recently, and uh, the Shake Shack burger. Um, I just had that while I was in New Orleans in August, and uh, it's just a better burger. It's a really very good, flavorful burger. It only comes in a couple of different kinds of configurations. Uh, you don't necessarily have like the secret menu animal style stuff going on that you would at In-N-Out, but um, it is just a more flavorful burger. Um, and even the people who are devotees of In-N-Out will all admit under duress that their fries suck. In-N-Out fries are the worst fries in fast food. Yeah, they weren't great. They just are. But Shake Shack notwithstanding, um, any burger, any sort of regional specialty or cult burger you can stack up against the In-N-Out, um, I'm actually probably, except in incredibly rare cases, going to prefer the other one. In-N-Out just, to me, is an incredibly overhyped, um, oversold kind of burger. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But if I was looking at a corner that had a White Castle and a Carl's Jr. and um, a, a Culver's on the corner, the In-N-Out would be my last choice. Because... They all just do things differently. Now, the rivalry where I'm Culver's. from... I've never had a Culver's. Well, see, there is... the Culver's, Culver's began in Wisconsin. Uh, I think they're in 28 states now, but they don't really have a huge West Coast presence. Uh, so you wouldn't necessarily have, have had a chance to try them. I think they might be in Colorado. But if you haven't been back to Colorado for a while, I think Colorado might actually be one of only two states where they have In-N-Out and Culver's, Arizona being the other. But that's why I've read a couple of articles online, because in a recent poll uh, of some, I don't know who held the poll, but there have been a couple of different polls where Culver's edged out in and out as being the favorite regional burger. And um, there was just very recently a, uh, a Hot Ones episode with Andrew Zimmern, uh, where he was sitting with Sean Evans and talking about it. And he actually talked about in and out as being an okay burger, but has nothing on Culver's. And maybe that's, again, because he's from Minnesota, and it's sort of like your region informs where you're from. Culver's is a huge chain in the Midwest. But having eaten just about every regional cult burger there is, um, the only one that comes close to touching Culver's is Whataburger in Texas. Whataburger makes a really good fucking burger. They do. But Culver's... Everything is fresh, and that's what Andrew Zimmern talked about on Hot Ones with Sean Evans. Everything is fresh. He said, if you go into Culver's in the morning, you'll see people cutting onions, you'll see people chopping lettuce, you'll see people slicing tomatoes. Nothing comes in a bag. The produce comes whole off the truck. The beef comes in big bags that's not pre-cooked, it's not frozen. They smash it on the grill, it gets a nice lacy Maillard reaction edge on it, and everything, even the buns, is made fresh. 
Uh, so you just can't really compare it. And the fact that Culver's is not necessarily just a cheeseburger or a hamburger, it's also a butter burger. They do toast the top bun in butter, so you got a nice buttery crunch and you bite into it too. Culver's just, their give a shit level about the quality of the food, the preparation of the food. I've had burgers come out of the wrapper at Culver's that look just like the fucking picture on the menu, and they taste even better than they look. Culver's, to me, and again, a reasonable bias because they are a Wisconsin-based chain, even though they have locations in half the country, uh, Culver's is, hands down, bar none, the best chain fast food burger in the country, and uh, that's not necessarily just my opinion. That's been the opinion of many different polls, many different breakdowns. Um, I just don't think In-N-Out's that great. It's fine. If I'm in California, if I'm in Nevada, I'll eat it, because it is something you kind of need to do regionally, but I just have never really had an In-N-Out burger that impressed me as much as an Umami burger, or a Farm Boys burger, or a Fat burger, or a Habit burger, or... Culver's or Whataburger or Five Guys or Fuddruckers or any of the other sort of like regional cult burger chains, they just don't stack up. They're good, but, you know, and then the fries also drag them down. I'm going to go out on a limb and say I do like their fries better than McDonald's fries. And I know I'm in the minority for that. I'm not a huge fan of McDonald's french fries. I don't know. I just get them. They're always just, to me, they're nah. And... I know I'm going to catch some hate for that. and I was a fan of the uh, original Wendy's fries that they had for a long time. Uh, they've just yeah, recently Wendy's switched skin on the edges. Up. Yeah, they've recently switched those back up, and I'm not a huge fan of their new shit. But, uh, well, once again, Culver's has some amazing fries. Culver's has crinkle-cut fries, and they kind of are like, they got about a, a sixteenth of an inch of crispy on the outside, and they're mashed potatoes on the inside. They are outstanding fries. I'm down for that. Looks like I need to hit me a Culver's, but uh, that wasn't the question. So I need to hit me a Shake Shack as well so I can do a proper evaluation. But uh, I'll tell you what, I, I'm I'm just a huge fan of burgers in general. I will eat whatever you put in yeah. front of me. I don't even eat a you. McDonald's burger. I'm not a fan of McDonald's by and large. Uh, I'm not a fan of uh, Burger King anymore these days. Fast food doesn't really appeal to me most of the time anyways. No. Which lately I find myself gravitating towards subs or... Or things like that. Stuff I can eat on the go. Uh, but uh, with my line of work and the, and the hours that I'm out and doing my job, which is on call, so it could be any freaking time of the day, half the time it's at night when there's nothing really available except for like your jack-in-the-box or your uh, yeah. your things like that. And so greasy fast food burgers aside, uh, I mean, I'm a huge burger fan. Five Guys I'm a huge fan of. Um, yep. So I'm going to have to make my way around and, and try me a Shake Shack again and Hit me up a Culver's and try that, and uh, we can do a, another burger-themed episode as it warrants it, but we've already done that, so uh, our love of burgers has been well uh, established. So, Yeah, and the Bob's Burgers movie comes out next month, so that'll be fun. It does. Uh, but let us know where you guys weigh in on any of these, or any of the, like I said, you can uh, hit us up with any of your uh, ideas about these ones, you can hit us up with any ideas about anyone we didn't talk about. Or maybe you want to get our opinion on a food debate that you've uh, uh, got kicking around. Hit us up. Once again, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fuelyourfandom. Uh, fuelyourfandom at gmail.com as well. FYFTalibooking at gmail.com on Instagram at, at fuelyourfandom on Twitter at, at fuel underscore your. And you can always find us at any of the great podcast distribution platforms we're on stitcher we're on audible we're on spotify we're on google Podcasts. we're on apple Podcasts. we're on iHeartRadio. radio uh find us anywhere you want we're just glad you find us 
Absolutely. We, we, we are appreciative of anyone that we get to listen and participate with us on uh, this show that we like to do so much. And so we want to thank you guys for joining in again for another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. And please do remember, everything, even hamburgers, damn it, everything is yep. fandom. And fandom is everything. Take care. Fucking want a hamburger now like crazy.